to episode 107 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stadman. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo and Lisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we are going back to a really just fucking dark and stinky and dangerous time for the World Wrestling Federation. We're back in the In Your House era, which covers the... I, I, I always say it like covers the period where like w, WWF was getting their asses just ramrodded by WCW. We are here in early 1996 uh, for WWF In Your House 6. It's still kind of like Monday Night Wars are just starting to take off, really. But this is pre-NWO. You know, we're, we're kind of like sort of scuffling along here. Uh, this is a show that has some good-looking stuff on it. Uh, we have Bret Hart versus Diesel in a steel cage match. We have Owen Hart versus Shawn Michaels in a match that looks amazing on paper, at least, uh, and delivers in a very strong way. And, and this is for uh, the uh, like like last stop before WrestleMania. Shawn Michaels has won the Royal Rumble and the right to challenge for the world title, but he has to defend that. WrestleMania title shot tonight against Owen Hart. Very, very New Japan of them, where, like, the G1 winner has to defend, like, the G1 title shot before Wrestle Kingdom. Very New Japan of WWF to have him defending the title shot here at uh, In Your House 6. Reminiscent from our era, Rey Mysterio versus Randy Orton. Yes, I suppose that did happen. Um, But uh, this is, like, like, for an In Your House, which were generally, like... You know, like the whole concept of the In Your House was like it was their first toe in the water towards doing monthly pay-per-views where they were like, hey, like maybe we could do monthly pay-per-views. But like only if like like people will probably only buy it if it's like a little cheaper. So we'll make it like a little shorter. They won't be as big. But like we'll 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 try and get this going once a month before they realize like, oh, shit, we can just run a full pay-per-view every month and people will buy and pay full price for it. Um a lot of these in your house cards tend to be weaker. There is some strong stuff, like at least like stuff that is treated pretty strong on this pay per view. A lot of stuff setting up the coming up WrestleMania 12, and like maybe two good matches on the show. So uh, we look forward to talking about this one. What's going on, Ange? Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes with this era, like it, the best thing about in your houses was the branding because the branding is absolutely elite. But then you get to the matches. Listen. They, they they do be having a house. They called it in your house, and they were like, yo, we're just going to have a fucking house. Like, it's ca- we just ha- like, I want to live in the in your house house. Like, I want to, I want to like, I want to, like, sneak it. Like, I know, like, in, like, fucking Titan Towers or whatever, they have, like, the fucking big, like, like, fucking, like, vault with all the, like, shit. You yes. know what I mean? Like, have you ever seen, like, video? Like the Indiana Jones like, vault. Yeah. They have this insane Indiana Jones vault. I want to break into Titan Towers and live in the fucking in your house house. My headcan is that Wrestle House was actually just the in your house house. That would be so cool if it was just in the house. <laughs> like, like, like Duke the Dumpster Drozzy is still like hiding out in the house. Like after he got fired from WWF, he just moved into the house and just was been a squatter for the last 25 years. Hey, squatter's rights. It's, yeah, squatter's it's his now. Yeah, it, he does. He does own the house now. Yes. Listen, fucking fucking property value is they're insane right now, man. Like you hey. would be off breaking into a corporate headquarters and living in a fake house than you would be trying to buy an actual real house in this economy. 
Oh, a hundred percent, thousand percent. But yeah, like this was actually probably one of the better in your houses that we got. If for nothing else, that we finally, finally got a good Owen Hart match. It feels like every time we got Owen Hart, he was like putting someone over that wasn't a great worker or just like put in some shit match. Yeah, uh, carry Yokozuna in a tag match, just the six hundred fifty pound dead weight that was Yokozuna. Yeah, so I mean th- that itself. I actually went to back and rewatched it before we started recording, and man, that match just it goes. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, this was it was a good match. Honestly, a good show. I thought the undercard was very well, uh, very good or at least passable. Uh, but then we get to the main event with Bret Hart and Diesel, and yeah, it was a Diesel match. It's tough because Bret and Diesel. I've seen them together uh, have some very good matches. Um, but then you put them in a match and we'll talk about this later on. It's a steel cage match. And at the time, the rule in WWF was you could only win steel cage matches by, uh, escaping the cage. They didn't have pinfall or submission. And we hate the door finish. Yeah. And we have a door gimmick going on. Of course we have, we're having people like a lot of people trying to escape out of the door and that plays into the finish, but it's like. Okay, Kevin Nash, 6'11", 280 pounds, you know, whatever he was. I don't think he was 300, but he was big as fuck, right? Is he going to spend the whole match climbing over the fucking top of the cage? No, he's not. We're not going to do that with Kevin Nash. So it's like you're already very – and you're not doing pinfalls or submissions. So, like, with a guy like Nash who is so big, there's, like – very like there's only so much you can do you are very limited in what you can do yeah and that shines it shines through a lot of that match is like again it looks great on paper you know again because he realized like again like i said brett could have a great match with almost anybody and had very good matches with diesel at times but like it just it ends up being so fucking boring for most of it. Like, it really is very slow, I thought. And it really does not deliver, especially after, like, Owen and Sean set the table for him. They go out and they have a banger, as you would expect them to have. You know, like, just a good match. You know, like, as good of a wrestling match as you were going to see in 1996 WWF, right? Uh, and then you're like, okay, cool, that was really good. Uh, here we go, I'm ready for this, you know? It's, it's fucking Brett. Just the... What year before Brett had had what was probably to that point the best cage match in the history of wrestling with uh, with Owen. And you're like, it's Brett Hart. It's a cage. You know, he's worked well with this guy before. Probably be good. And then it's just boring. Puts you to sleep. And it's not like it's not like uh, like while Michaels and Hart was like a really good match. It's not like they did anything that was like, oh, man, this completely upstaged the main event. They, like the no. main event cannot top this. They and, didn't do like, the, uh, like absurd spots where they just went out and had a really good match, but also one that you're like exactly like what you said. You're like, OK, the table is now set for Brett and Diesel, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I will say the finish of the main event, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought that was a cool finish that can sometimes be hard to do in a cage match when you have chicanery. But like I thought it was done well. So at the very least they did that, but it was twenty minutes. We we did not need twenty minutes to get to that finish. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that finish. But I, I have a I have a question about it. Uh that it's not like it's not like I'm I'm not I'm not gonna shit on it at all. I think it's a kind of a classic, like funny, like wacky WWF finish. Yes. But I have a I have a specific question about it that I, I, I want to discuss. I'm I'm excited for this question. Let's get to it then. 
Okay, so yeah, let's let's just fucking read it, guys. It is February 18th, 1996. We are at the Louisville Gardens in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, by all accounts, a sellout here of 5,500 people and not a very big venue for this show, of course, headlined by Bret Hart and Diesel, the steel cage match for the WWF title, and a very nice-looking Shawn Michaels-Owen Hart match for the right to challenge the winner of said cage match in the main event of the upcoming, uh, upcoming Wrestle. Mania 12, and because it's 1996, uh, we have exactly one hot woman in WWF. Her name was Sunny. She is the most insane person in the world, but she was very attractive in 1996, so they made sure she was everywhere at all times all over the programming, and we lead off with this little bumper of Sunny in a bikini on the beach uh, saying in a very uh, suggestive way that this following program contains material that might be too hot for some listeners or some watchers. Spoiler, nothing was. Yes. Spoiler, not at all. It was a very normal wrestling <laughs> Very <show>. tame. <laughs> this is very tame with basically no sexual content whatsoever. Mild, you know, very like no one no one bled very much. Like just very like a uh, pretty, pretty G-rated uh, wrestling Yeah, this, show. this is this is a one on the I hope my parents don't walk in raining. Yeah, it's it's really it's just the most regular ass WWF show of all time. <laughs> um, we have Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler on the call, and we are starting off with a match. The stipulation of which was a complete. You know that this motherfucker was a Vince original. Oh, hundred percent was crazy about this one. This came straight out of his diseased brain. Uh, it is the first ever, and I think the first and only crybaby match now what is a crybaby match you might ask it is a match that it is a completely normal singles match but the loser of the crybaby match will be put in a diaper and given a baby bottle hysterical i don't i I watched 96 wwf i don't really remember this angle exactly like i don't remember why this became a crybaby match i really don't it's, uh, but, it's, it seemed like just one, two, three kid decided I'm going to bring a stroller to the ring. No, I, I think that like, I think like rate because like one, two, three kid was like a smaller guy and he looked really young. You know what I mean? Like he looked, yeah. he, looked, he had that kind of like child face. He looked know? like a teenager. He did. He looked like a teenager. Um, I, I can't remember if it was like, like Ramon making fun of him for it. And then he like calling him a baby or something. I can't remember what it was, but like. We're here, and the loser of this match is going to be diapered and put in a baby bottle. And it is a classic rivalry of early 90s WWF. Razor Ramon and Sean Waltman, the 1-2-3 kid. Of course, the 1-2-3 kid was made off of his uh, shocking upset win over Razor Ramon in 1993 on Monday Night Raw. Made his whole career. And now they are linking back up again. Two very good workers. One, two, three kid was was very ahead of his time for what was you, you were going to be seeing on WWF and Razor Ramon. We're big Scott Hall fans here on this podcast. Always thought he was a good worker. So it's it's like like I said, fully fully idiotic stipulation here, but a match that just as a match looks like it'll probably be pretty good. Um, one, two, three kid comes out accompanied by Ted DiBiase. He had turned heel uh, about a year or so, like in the year before. Um, had joined like Ted DiBiase's like corporation stable. 
Um, kid comes out pushing a stroller with a Razor Ramon teddy bear in it. By the way, Ted DiBiase uh, has been in the news recently, should we say? <laughs> His kid, too. Yeah, man. Listen, the million dollar, that, that wasn't a fucking gimmick, brother. He was actually that evil, it turns out. <laughs> Um, and his fucking son, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, I would. I think his son is like more of a criminal right now than he is. Well, no, the senior is also implicated in the whole thing too. Uh, of course, he, he did, but I think like uh, Junior was the one driving the truck, if you will. Uh, Ted DiBiase Junior is legacy member. Ted DiBiase Junior is straight up going to go to federal prison. <laughs> <laughs> Cody Rhodes at the top of the card in WWE again, and Ted DiBiase Junior is going to go to jail. Yeah, how about like all those people in like 2009? You're arguing like who's going to be the big star to come out of Legacy, and it's like okay, 13 years later, Cody Rhodes headlines WrestleMania. Ted DiBiase Jr. is going to federal prison. Do, do we need a new name for it? Because that's not Genetti. That's DiBiase now. Yeah, that's a different <laughs> level of Genetti. Like, it's a, it's a completely different fucking evolution of the whole concept. It's awesome. Um, but so, yeah, one, two, three kid comes out with the stroller with the teddy bear. He gets in the ring. He throws the teddy bear at Ramon and Razor Ramon, throws the toothpick back at one, two, three kid. And we are off and running. Uh, one, two, three kid does all his cool kicks. That was like part of his gimmick. He would do the fucking karate kicks and jump around and the martial arts bullshit. Um, you know, he does all of his cool kicks. He, you know, hits a springboard clothesline. Not many guys doing springboard stuff in 96 WWF. Always really like watching one, two, three kid wrestle. Um, Hulk, Scott Hall comes back and throwing him around, catches him, hits a follow-away slam. Uh, love this cutoff. Ted DiBiase throwing baby powder in Razor Ramon's eyes, literally directly in front of the referee. Yep. Referee is staring straight at this and does nothing. And there's a cloud that lingers, too. It's not like, oh, he throws this powder in the eyes and it dissipates. It's, it hangs. Yeah, it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, he, uh, you know, he hit him with something while the referee was turned around. Like, the referee can still turn around and see this enormous fucking cloud of baby powder sitting in midair. And just be like, oh, obviously someone threw fucking baby powder here. You know, but again, Tim White, the referee, is looking straight fucking at this and does nothing. Um, so that's that's the cutoff. One, two, three kid does a lot of stuff. He hits a missile drop kick, diving splash off the top rope, does all his spinning kicks. We have a long sleeper spot. Very um, long sleeper spot. Very long sleeper spot. Ramon fights out and backs him into the corner, but then one, two, three kid jumps right out of the corner, back onto his back, and puts him back in the sleeper hold. Um, Ramon fights out, crotches him on the top rope, hits all of his fucking great punches. Scott Hall, some of the best punches in the business. Uh, rolls through on a crossbody and nearly gets the pin. Um Catches him on another crossbody, hoists him up, hits a middle rope fallaway slam. That's not a bump I would like to take. Um, we have a spot at the end. Ted DiBiase gives one, two, three kid a handful of baby powder to throw in Razor Ramon's eyes. DiBiase runs around to distract the referee, but Razor Ramon turns around at the last second, kicks one, two, three kid's hand so the Cloud of baby powder flies back up into one, two, three kid's face. Razor Ramon hits the razor's edge, goes for the pin, hasn't pinned, but pulls him up at two just to fucking rub it in a little bit more, and then hits another razor's edge, 
gets the pin, wins the match, 12 minutes and one second. Afterwards, he puts the diaper on the one, two, three kid's lifeless body, pours baby powder all over his corpse in the ring. And then when one, two, three kid wakes up, he starts crying like a baby. And you have Vince McMahon hollering on commentary. Oh, he's crying. You know, he's fucking crying. Like, you know, he's screaming at the top of his fucking lungs that one, two, three kid's crying. Uh, what an like what an unbelievable burial of one of the like only like really good workers that you have on a fucking company. Holy shit, man. One two three kid gets put in not only gets pinned like 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 humiliatingly, like in a humiliating way. Like he gets hit with his finisher and then the guy pulls him up and then hits the finisher again. Uh and then pins him, kills him, puts him in a diaper, and then has him cry in the middle of the ring. But like, David, David, it's such good shit. What damn? Like, what did Sean Waltman do? <laughs> I, other than the diaper, because I, I, I think at that point, it's just like, man, that that's a tough thing to like get over. Like, you're gonna be the guy who's gonna be. There's visual of you in a diaper, uh, crying. That's not. You're never good. I don't mind the double finisher. Like, it's you know, is it a complete burial? I don't know. Like, is it? disrespectful maybe but it's like oh yeah so he got pinned he got he got pinned after two of them rather than just one it's it's a a different version yes but like 99 percent, you will see this right this is like a heel move yes it's like a guy who's like a heel who is like you know about to win the match hits his finisher and he's about to get the pin and he's like oh no 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 i want to beat this guy's ass some more and then like he'll go for something and then the baby face will fight back and have a fiery comeback. Like you'll that's that is what you do this spot for. It's not like, oh, I want to kill this guy again, even more. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> you don't usually see that. So it's like number one, like one, two, three kid is obviously like so far below Razor Ramon's level that Razor Ramon can just get away with that and humiliate him. So like, I don't know, man. Like it's that's tough. Just where, that's just not where you see that spot done. You know what I mean? It's just like what a fucking burial of one, two, three kid here. Uh, again, a guy who was like one of the only good workers in WWF at this point in time. Like, fuck, dude. What? I, I know that like Sean Waltman, like, you know, he was part of the clique with fucking uh, Michaels and Nash and Hall. And, you know, they rub people the wrong way. I don't know if like he had pissed someone off backstage. But this is like, what a fucking burial, brother. Holy shit. How can you ever take him seriously again after this? Never. Very I tough. I put him in a diaper and cried on fucking TV. That that's a that's the death of the gimmick. That's <laughs> the death of a gimmick. Because that's, uh, that's not the way. Like that's one thing. Like okay, he loses the match and he gets put in the diaper. That's the stipulation of the match. Okay, but then he starts crying like a baby, and then you have Vince McMahon start hollering about how he's crying like a baby. Man, like the crying part. That is the shit that really is the death, the murder, death fucking kill right there. That is the headshot. Fucking bang, he's dead. You know, like, fuck, dude. I think there's a testament to, like, him committing so hard to it. No, like, crying like a baby. It's just like, okay, cool. He's, like... I know, like, one of Vince's things was, like, oh, you have to be able to get everything over. No matter what you're given, you need to get it over. And, like... You can't say he didn't try, but like that's oh, like. Yeah. But what, what's the fan? What are the fans supposed to view? One, two, three, kid crying in the middle of the ring in a diaper. Like yeah. that. That's really. Oh yeah, he could sell the hell out of it, but it's not going to get him over. Um, 
I will say though, one two three kid is that just not like the perfect name for like an upstart rookie? Kind of like Action Andretti, just a perfect like guy who comes out of nowhere, great worker, but like definitely on like the early stages of his career. Well, yeah, it was, and it was. I mean, you know, the the kid beating Razor Ramon is like one of my favorite moments ever in WWF. Like, really, like it's a classic moment because it's like he had been on. He had wrestled as Lightning Kid, like on the Indies for like years, like for like a while. Like, like it, you know, if you were like a real like hardcore freak, like if you were like one of the insane people who actually paid attention, he was like kind of like a hot name on the Indies. Yeah, and like as much as there could be in 1992, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he had been on like Raw like every week as Lightning Kid, just jobbing out to everybody. And then they put him in with Razor Ron. It's like, okay, I've seen this guy already. He's got like a cool name and like kind of a neat little gimmick. But I've seen him get his ass kicked by everybody. And then he beat Scott Hall out of nowhere. And Scott Hall was a heel at the time. So people were like like chanting one, two, three at him to like make fun of him for the fact that he got pinned one, two, three by this fucking jobber. <laughs> and then it turned into his name. Like it was like such an easy chant. It like turned into his name. It yeah. just was like it was like perfect. It was just like because it was like it got everyone over in the way that they needed to get over. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was perfect. Yeah, I love things like that. Um, also, apologies to the Hardys. Uh, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. He actually invented being cool. He came around before. He, guy's the coolest. Um, I do enjoy the fact that, like this would have been a feud. Like there is a long lot of history between the two. I like the fact that they just start hot as opposed to like going through the motions of chain wrestling because like this is a feud. They are not messing around. They're getting yeah. right into it. I love that stuff. Um, there's a moment too. I will say this though. I feel like we have we have five matches on the show. Every single one of them starts with them immediately brawling. Yeah, very hot. All of them are very hot. Yeah. Uh, which honestly, I you know. I'd rather that sometimes, but it depends on the day. It depends on the match. Um, there's a chop in here where Razor sounded like he collapsed Kid's chest. Like, it just echoes throughout the entire arena. Love that. There I was not, not a lot of meat on that chest either. No. Um, I do enjoy, like, all of 1-2-3-Kid's offense because like, there's, like, some Finn Balor to it where everything looks impactful, even though he's a smaller guy. It's, like, the exact moveset he needs to kind of, like, make it believable that the smaller guy can beat the bigger guy. Um, and the crowd's really hot for this match. It's very, it's again, very fun match. These two have great chemistry. Um, I will say, though, there's the, uh, there's another rule that gets broken here with, uh, oh, the manager that's bigger than the wrestler. Yes. That's, a, that's always a tough sell. Who was, you know, retired at this point from the ring. But like, yeah, like, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's one thing when it's like a guy like DiBiase who is a retired wrestler, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But like, yeah, he, he is a lot bigger than, uh, he is a lot bigger than 123Kid here. He's a skinny guy. Um, yeah, 123Kid, again, I've, I've always recommended it. Uh, I, I always recommend watching 123Kid 93, 94 WWF because he is... So, you know, his his style stands out so much from everybody else on the roster. And I love watching, like, those early Raws where Randy Savage is on commentary. Like, watching Kid do some of the shit that he does. Like, kind of cool, like, junior heavyweight stuff that he does. Randy Savage reacting to it like he's watching the moon landing. Like, <laughs> the fuck out. He's never seen someone jump before. <laughs> like, to, to, to fair, Macho Man wasn't doing much jumping in his matches, even when he did went to the top rope. 
Yeah, he. I mean, you know, Macho. But no, Macho did. You know, Macho did top rope stuff. But like, you know, it's just a very different fucking style from what people people would watch. You know, in in at that time, and because it was all fucking huge guys mostly. And uh, yeah, like, but like, fucking yeah, uh, one two three kid doing like cool shit, and then uh, him like Macho Man absolutely freaking the fuck out over it is like one of my favorite little things, honestly. So, yeah. Next up, uh, backstage, Sonny wants to fuck Razor Ramon. Uh, and then we have a clip of Jake the Snake Roberts, who's back in WWF at this point, scaring Sonny with uh, his snake, uh, which he had done on the pre-show, I guess. We get that little clip. She's That's not cool. a euphemism, by the way. It was a genuine snake. Yes, it was. Listen, <laughs> you know, we, watched, we watched Heroes of Wrestling. You know, he blurred that line every now and then. Uh, but yes, this is literally just a snake, as in the animal. Uh, so yes. Next up, we have uh, fancy aristocrat Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Uh, 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 promising young talent. Accompanied by some very attractive blonde woman, who I don't know who she was at all. Um, I don't know if they ever say who she was. Um, he is facing... Duke the Dumpster Drosy, classic fucking gimmick from 90s WWF, the wrestling garbage man. Back when they were really into having uh, their guy, everyone, all, all the wrestlers have day jobs, folks. And your gimmick is your day job. We have the wrestling garbage man. We've got T.L. Hopper, the wrestling plumber. We had a wrestling hockey player at one point. We had a wrestling baseball player at one point. Wrestling farmers. We had a wrestling tax accountant. Yeah, wrestling hog farmer. Wrestling regular farmer. Uh, all, all this shit. Dentist. Wrestling dentist. Yes, we had a wrestling dentist. Heck, Undertaker's a mortician, technically. The Undertaker is a wrestling undead mortician. Uh, fucking, I think Diesel at one point was like a, re- like when he started, was like a wrestling fucking like. Truck driver? Uh, like car guy i don't know he came out to the sound of like car traffic they literally didn't have like he has his cool theme song now but he literally like when he walked out for like the first year or two that he was in wwf he just walked out to the sounds of fucking like car horns honking and shit it was awful um but yes the wrestling garbage man duke the dumpster drosy who's a big motherfucker um triple h had a cut Duke, uh, Duke Drosy's hair off a few weeks before on WWF Superstars. So now we have this grudge match here in, in your house in Louisville. And, uh, you know, Drosy gets in there. We start slugging away. Um, Drosy hits him with a big gorilla press slam. Drosy takes off. He's wearing a weight belt that says sanitation engineer on the back. Uh, very, very Tony Soprano of him. He's in waste management. Um, he takes off the belt and he starts whipping him with the belt. Uh, referee lets this go. Cody Rhodes stole the weight belt gimmick and Hollywood Hogan. They stole the weight belt gimmick from Josie. Dr. Josie, ladies and gentlemen, folks ahead of his time. Duke Josie. Um, he goes for the 10 punches in the corner and then triple H hot shots him on the top rope. Banderas him to the floor, whips him into the steps, gets some heat for a while. Cutting like they cut away to the commentary desk. With Jerry the King Waller shamelessly hitting on uh, the the blonde woman that accompanied uh, him to that Triple H to the ring, Elizabeth Hilton, by the way, Elizabeth Hilton, who is a person, um, and she was she was there. 
Uh, but she was there to look good next to Triple H, and she achieved that, certainly. Um, back in the ring, Duke Drozzy hits a very nice-looking spine buster, but is too beaten up to get the cover. Gets his comeback, bumps him a few times, hits a power slam, hits his move, which is a uh, tr- it's called the trash compactor. He, like whips him off and then like grabs him and swings him up onto his shoulder into a power slam. Um, then finish of this match comes. I mean, he hits him with his finishing move, but doesn't pin him. Uh, Duke Drozzy comes off like a real fucking dumbass. Basically, writes his own uh, loss here. Yeah. He, instead of finish, uh, instead of pinning Triple H after hitting his finisher, he goes to the floor. Grabs a trash can and a trash can lid and throws them into the ring. Mike Kyoto, the referee, is not having this because this is illegal. Um, he grabs the trash can and, like, throws it out of the ring. Duke Drozzi, completely like a dummy, completely stops paying attention to Triple H. And Triple H, meanwhile, has grabbed the trash can lid. And while Mike Kyoto's turned around, he waffles Duke Drozzi with the trash can lid, knocks him out, and he gets the pin. And wins the match, Triple H over Duke Drozzi in 9 minutes and 38 seconds. A much better match than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Duke was over. Duke Drozzi had some decent-looking power stuff. Like, it's not a great match or anything. No. But it's a solid match between two, like, kind of bigger guys, you know. They, they, you know, some of Duke Drozzi's stuff looks pretty decent, and it's not, like, it's not total shit, you know, it's fine. No one looked lost. No one looked sloppy. Like, everything looked pretty darn good. Granted, it's like a slugfest, so there's not much to really worry about. But, like, I, I got my mileage out of it. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's fine, you know? It's Fun fact about Duke, he's a Miami alum. Oh, yeah? He's a Miami Hurricane? Miami Hurricane. He was also a special, uh, special education teacher. Unfortunately, was arrested for selling oxycodone and opioids. Oh, that sucks. When did this happen? I think 2013, according to Wikipedia. Oh, uh, but he was in oh, Chicago. Duke Rosie's has a tough fucking times, man. Yeah. He, he was in Chicago in 2019. Three year sentence. And uh, resigned. Uh, had his foot amputated. Jesus Christ, brother. What the fuck? Yeah. Damn. Uh, but and he was in Chicago in 2019, too. So. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm sure Chikara, they fucking love fucking. Uh, <laughs> Old old wrestling dudes. They, they love back when that existed. They love fucking uh, <laughs> doing that. Actually, I'm gonna be fucking really later today after we record this. I'm gonna see some people that wrestled. I, I'm bet I bet you I'm gonna see at least a couple people who were in that. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna ask <laughs> how many people do I know that I'm gonna see later who were in this match. Uh, I see two, at least two or three. I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna see I'm, I'm gonna go ask I'm gonna go ask Weber Hatfield later today what it was like to work Duke the dumpster jokes. <laughs> I'm hey, literally sh- gonna see him in like three hours after this. Shout out Weber. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, uh, that's so cool. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed this match. Like, there's not much to it. It's just a hey, slugfest between two guys with clear characters where the babyface is kind of dumb, which is the Vince McMahon staple. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's. Listen, you could you could find a much worse match than this. It's not great or anything, but they do fine. They do fine. You know, again, Drozzy stuff looks all right. Drozzy, you know, Drozzy, Drozzy kind of had a decent look with the uh, with the with the short hair. I agree. You know? I thought big, he, looked, he looked good. Big jacked man, you know, wasn't wasn't the worst thing in the world. But uh, you know, again, uh, tough tough to really get over a wrestling garbage man. You know, yeah. Um, 
And he, again, you know, making the babyface look like kind of a huge dumbass here in the in the finish of this match. Again, the Vince Staple. Again, like just a like it, it, it like he probably could have had the match won, and then just fucking like. Like, goes the opportunity to win the match and then stops paying attention to, like, the, uh, like, the weapon that he brought into the fucking match and then loses because of it. Like, just a real, real, uh, real swing and a miss there from old Duke. Unfortunate. Next up, we've got Babyface Yokozuna, which is a rare, a rare spot here. We have a Babyface Yokozuna taking on Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Babyface Yoko, you just broken away from the Camp Cornette stable, which was one of the big heel stables in WWF at this point. You turn Babyface. We get a Yokozuna promo, which Yokozuna actually talking for himself almost never happened uh, in WWF. Because he was managed for years by Mr. Fuji and then by Cornette. Never talked for himself, ever. Except here, we get a Yoko promo. Find out that we're, we're really missing much with Yoko on the mic. Uh, he's just kind of him hollering and screaming. Um, he says, British Bulldog, you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. And tonight, Camp Cornette, I'm going to... I was thinking Seth Rollins' voice here. Burn it Burn down. Because he's burning it down. I can't do the. I, I would blow the fuck out of the mic if I tried to do that. I think anyone would. I, I don't think any either of us could do that cut. The little cool hardcore guy screech. <laughs> no. Seth Rollins has on his thing. So we have Yoko versus British Bulldog. Um, Yoko, like, Davy Boy bumps for him a bunch, really trying to do everything he can to create the illusion of Yoko actually moving in this match. Uh, he does his best. Because um, Yoko at this point, 600 plus pounds, he had continuously gotten bigger continuously gotten less mobile throughout his career. Um, he uh, bumps him a couple times. You know, Yoko goes for a big elbow drop and misses. Davey drops him with a clothesline. Yoko fights back, goes for a bonsai drop, but uh, Jim Cornette pulls Davey Boy Smith out of the ring, uh, tries to, uh, Yokozuna tries to avalanche him on the ring post. Davey Boy runs, uh, gets out of the way, and, Davey, and Yoko runs straight into the post. Davy Boy comes off the top rope with a flying punch, but Yoko kicks out. He goes for another dive. Yoko catches him coming off top. No sells a bunch of Davy Boy Smith's offense. Hits the Samoan drop. I have to say, his pop up into the Samoan drop still looked very good. Yep. He's at 100 plus pounds. Still looked good. Hits a belly to belly suplex. Yoko's closing in on the win, but then Cornette gets in and hits him with the tennis racket right in view of the referee. And the disqualification happens. So Yokozuna wins the match uh, by disqualification in five minutes and five seconds. Yoko uh, no-sells three straight tennis racket shots. But then the big heavyweight of Camp Cornette runs down. It is the man they call Vader wearing a Colorado Buffaloes football t-shirt. Shout out Deion Sanders. Shout out Neon Dion. They're, they're geared up for a big year out there in Boulder this year. Uh, he cold cocks Yoko from behind. Vader and Davy Boy Smith both beat him down. They handcuff him to the top rope and beat him up. Yoko's still fighting back as much as he can uh, with one arm and getting beaten up by both these two monsters, uh, Vader and Davy Boy Smith. Eventually, all the agents come out and break it up. You see Jack Briscoe out there. You see Pat Patterson out there. Uh, or Gerald Briscoe, rather. And you see uh, George the Animal Steel out there as well. Right. 
always, I always like, I always like picking out. Saw Rene Goulet as well. I always like uh, picking out all the uh, the fucking agents every time shit like this happens. <laughs> like, hey, look! Like now it's like, oh shit! Look, it's Petey Williams. Like, oh fuck! You know, like you always see that shit. I always get very excited for that. Curse Axel. Yeah, Axel the Axe Man. We've seen Jordan, Jason Jordan before. You know, I always get very excited to be like, oh shit! Look, there's fucking you know, and Jamie Noble. In a, yeah, in AEW, it's always like, oh, look, it's Pat Buck. Oh, look, it's Jerry Lynn. No, fuck. <laughs> like, it's very fun. Dean Malenko. For so, yeah, yeah no, Malenko, even though Malenko has Parkinson's, you know, like, it's a very, like, for someone who likes remembering guys, it's always, like, <laughs> your favorite points of any show, you know, like, you, know, you love to remember guys. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah Yoko, Yoko by DQ here. Shout out Bulldog, man. Like, oh, man, he, he put in a absolute shift in that five minutes, he just did. making bumped, Yoko look passable. He bumped everywhere for Yoko. He really, you know, again, trying to create the illusion of Yoko moving around and doing stuff. And he looks like money, too. Like, Bulldog's out there. He's, he's like, buff as hell. He's got the uh, Union Jack trunks. It's just powerful look for Bulldog. I, I hated this moment, just like seeing Yoko kind of drag uh, Bulldog for, on the mat. You could clearly see Bulldog kicking his legs to help move him because Yoko's not really pulling him at all. Oh, it's a tough well, look. He's a big motherfucker, man. He was, I mean, like he had he had gotten on the gas and he was fucking thick. Yeah, it's a tough look, though. Um, Vader Yoko would have been fire years ago. Uh, I think this is like the classic. Hey, uh, we're just going to do this match five years too late so we could say that we did it anyway. I don't know if there was a time when you could have done Yoko and Davy Boy Smith and have it been like, oh, man, no, I no, I'm, talking, I'm talking Yoko Vader. Okay, or or even Yoko Vader because it's still and Yokozuna on his best day was not a tenth of the worker that Vader was. I know? agree. I agree, but like I mean, we we know at this point Yoko is kind of over the hill. It's uh, it's wait. We can all agree it's too late now. So a hill such as there was a hill for <laughs> Yoko. Really, I mean, again, like the man just wasn't wasn't great. Uh, and then, like, very large, and the, he had that one for him. The post match was way too long. We did not need like ten minutes of this Yoko beatdown. Yeah, the yeah the beatdown took forever. Uh, but I I don't know, man. Yeah, like you know what they're going for here. Vader and Yoko, they want to set up the big boy match, and they do that literally like, you know, like in like thirty after, minutes. Yeah, thirty minutes later, they they set it up. Uh, but, you know, yeah, like it, it just it can't you can't really get excited for it because, you know, I, you, obviously, in retrospect, we know that Yoko is like a year or two away from dying. Uh, but I mean, you, you watch Yoko, he just can't move around in the ring, really. Like there's one or two things that he can still do that are fine. You know, again, I mentioned it, the Samoan drop still looks neat, you know, um, and he can still like jump in the air to bump. You know, but like he just can't really move around. He's like just too fucking large to move around. Yeah. By this point, I mean, Vader in 96, Vader's not in his prime either. No. You know, he's still Vader. And I, you know, Vader is a man who I consider beyond reproach. Uh, He is he is beyond criticism. And if you attempt to criticize Vader in any way, you are an enemy of this podcast. He is a perfect boy. He is not in his prime anymore, we'll say, in 1996. 
So it's like, yeah, like you're here for the spectacle of two big motherfuckers, but it's like, well, it's going to be bad. And if I remember correctly, their match at WrestleMania 12 was bad. It screams Brothers of Destruction versus DX in Saudi Arabia. Not quite that depressing, (laughs) but I mean, shit. Oh, here it is. I I literally just looked up WrestleMania 12. Um, Negative negative two stars. They didn't even do it. Oh wow! Do it. Uh, they they ended up. This is what they ended up doing. I I again. I don't remember this fucking angle at all. They ended up doing a six man tag. It was Owen, British Bulldog, and Vader versus Yoko, Jake Roberts, and Ahmed Johnson. Oof. So that's what they did. Uh, and it, I'm sure it sucked. Yeah. Anyway, we move on. Backstage. <laughs> Full Dust is sexually harassing the AOL guy. Um, and he cuts a promo that the mic is not turned up high enough. No idea what he's fucking saying. Am I allowed to laugh at that segment? Because I I very much enjoyed Goldust in that segment. He's cutting this promo. And he's, he's doing, you know, in the Goldust voice, which is kind of like, it's like above a whisper, but it's kind of like very under his breath. Like, you know. You know it's a very way. breathy voice. Yeah. But the, the the mic is, like, not close enough to his face or something. I cannot hear a single word that he's saying. And he's got, like, the AOL guy, like, in the fucking, you know, they used to do the internet. Oh, here here's chat with the superstars at the AOL station or whatever. He has the, he's, like, groping this guy. The guy is no-selling it completely. He is just typing away, not paying attention to all. He's doing, like, if I ignore it, it's not here. If I ignore it, it's not here. He's just staring at the, the, key, at the fucking keyboard, <laughs> typing away. And then you have Marlena behind him smoking the cigar, like, also, like, not really paying attention. It's just a fucking really bizarre segment here that I, I actually thought was really funny. Um, next up. Here's our good match. Finally. Now, I mean, you know what? Two, three kid remote razor remote was, was a solid match as well. But here is like this standout one here. It is Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart. It is the 1996 Royal Rumble winner, Shawn Michaels, putting his WrestleMania 12 main event title shot on the line against Owen Hart, the brother of the current world champion, Brett the Hitman Hart. Shawn Michaels cuts a promo. I have to admit, I took an edible before I watched this, and I completely tuned out. I do not know what he's <laughs> I'm sure this was a typical Shawn Michaels promo. Um, and then, you know, Shawn makes this grand entrance. He, we cut to the top. He is on the roof of the In Your House house dancing. Um, and then he swings on a rope down to the stage. He goes to the ring. Owen charges him. He t- beats Owen up. He tosses him out of the ring. And then he dances out of his entrance gear. The ladies are screaming for Sean. I mean, this this is an amazing Sean. Michaels. This is I said this. This is a this is Sean Michaels is him moment. Yes, this Even- is the most him entrance of all fucking time. It's like, oh, Sean- this this guy's it. He's next. Sean Michaels. Dancing on like they cut to Shawn Michaels dancing atop the in your house house as the crowd screams. He swings like Tarzan off the house and then beats the heel up and like while his theme is still going. What his theme is playing the whole time. It never stops. It's just fucking amazing. Like it is like you watch this and you're like Shawn Michaels is the greatest wrestler in the world. 
like he's like, the greatest person of all time. We he is the main character, and we are all side characters in his movie. Yeah, like this is like you watch this and you're like, yeah, you're, you're very right. You're like this man is the main character. For, this is the protagonist right here. He is the main character for wrestling, Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels had turned babyface over the uh, like had, a year before. And he is really getting the most out of being the like being this popular baby face that you know all the ladies love. Um, at the beginning, at the very beginning of the match, they start running the international, and then Sean baseball slides right through his legs out of the ring, and he goes to the floor and starts running around high fiving all the fans. He goes over and kisses a lady, and she's like faints. You know, she's freaking out. And Shawn Michaels kissed her. Um, and then Owen does the same thing right afterwards where he baseball sl- – they get back in the ring and start going. He baseball slides out to the floor just to like stop and then tell all the fans that he hates them. He's <laughs> <laughs> yelling at the fans, so fuck you. Um, and then Sean climbs up to the top rope and does a big dive to the floor um, onto Owen. You know, crowd goes crazy. Um, rolls him back in, does a diving double axe off the top rope for a two count. We, you know, Sean does the, you know, he double legs him and just walks on his back. And he's, you know, he's, he is really fucking, you know, disrespecting Owen, really not taking him seriously at the beginning of this match, showing him no respect. Um, Owen goes for a power bomb. He turns it into a Frankensteiner for a near fall. Uh, eventually, Owen cuts him off, hits a nice overhead belly to belly, gets heat for a while, he's teasing the sharpshooter, wearing him down. Uh, Jim Cornette is with Owen on the outside, threatening Sean with the tennis racket. Um, we do it. Sean, uh, you know, does a spot where Sean suplexes him to the floor. Owen like lands on his feet, but still like sells the suplex. Um, then Owen, Sean, this was a great spot, really well timed. Sean tries to come off the apron. Owen catches about a minute into a perfect power slam on the floor. Owen hits a missile drop kick back into the ring. Gets him in the sharpshooter. Owen, uh, Sean is able to fight to the rope. Owen hits him with an enzigiri. And this is a part of the story between Sean and Owen. They had run a, done a, like, a, a, like, a story like the previous year where, like, Owen had injured Sean, had, like, given him a concussion. And, like, Sean was, like, selling, like, dead, basically, like, when he hit him in the head. Um, Owen hits him with an enziguri in the back of the head, and Sean just sells fucking dead for it. Like they're still kind of teasing, like, oh, like Sean has still got some CTE here. He can't, he can't take hits to the head. He's really selling dead here after this enziguri. Eventually, gets back into the ring right at the count of nine. Um, Owen goes for a spot in the corner. He crotches himself. Uh, Sean hits his big fiery comeback. He hits the flying shoulder block and the kip up. He hits the diving elbow. He sends Cornette packing. Goes for the sweet chin music, Owen ducks. Owen goes for another Enzigiri to try and knock him out. Sean ducks this one, and then he wipes him out with the sweet chin music right on the button. Hits it, gets the pin. Shawn Michaels wins the match, 15 minutes, 57 seconds. Shawn Michaels, most over baby face in the company. Crowd goes crazy for him. He will challenge for the world title at WrestleMania 12. And he brings a little girl out of the crowd into the uh, ring to celebrate. And yeah, everyone is happy for Shawn Michaels. Very good match. This is one of those matches that was like as so good and so technically sound and smooth that I don't have many notes for it because it's it was just I got enthralled with it. It was such a good yeah. match. It was, it was just really good. It was just like you have two guys who are at the top of their fucking game. 
uh, who have a well a match that's put together well. A guy who's over as a heel, guy who's over as a babyface, and they just go out there and have a good fucking wrestling match. And they tell a great story too of like the ba- you know the cocky babyface who's like toying with the heel a little bit in the beginning, not yeah. treating him seriously. Like I love the spot where Sean has Owen in a headlock, and then every time Cornette goes up to speak to the ref, he starts shaking on his hair. Like it's just very funny. He's like, "Oh, you got to yeah. break the hold, break the hold." And he does that little like, quick little I let go and then put it back on. It's like the yeah. classic, "Hey, stop touching me," and he just like he does. It's like that. Yeah. Um, but you have the baby face who's like too cocky. You know yes. what I mean? Like I feel like a lot of times like you have the the it's it's reversed. Like you have the heel that is too cocky and is taking the baby face not seriously enough and then fucks around and finds out. Like here it's the opposite. And it but it like works with these two guys. You it know very I mean? much does. You have the baby face who is like loving so much being the popular baby face that the crowd is going crazy for that it leads him to like you know, not take Owen seriously. And then and like, it's out that Owen's a great fucking wrestler, you know? And Owen really starts working the back. He works his holds. He has a lot of great submissions, uh, starts targeting like the back and then the head that is Gary man was like picture. Perfect. They showed it on replay. Oh man. The slow-mo does that thing so much justice. It looks so good every time. Um, and you know, Sean sells the absolute hell out of it. There's also a leg lariat that Sean sells the hell out of too. Uh, you know, continuing that story with the head injury. Uh, It's so again, very sound match. It's not like they did anything super flashy or crazy. They just, they worked a more or less perfect match. Like it's like a, it's like a, it's not a perfect game, but they threw a no hitter. Yeah, it, it, again, we talked about it at the start of the show. It is the best match on the show, and you know it's going to be the best match on the show. But it's also, it's not the main event. And, you, you like, it's a great match, but you also feel like they could have had a better one. Yes. But it's also, like, what it is is a fantastic, like, second-to-last match. Because, like, again, it's like you have this amazing match that's really, really good – but it also it's like not something so crazy that it's going to now like overshadow the main event, right? Bingo. Like it is teed up here for Brett and Diesel to have this great cage match and not be like, oh fuck, how do they fucking follow that unbelievable fucking, you know, match that like there's no way they could ever possibly follow that. No, it's like a really good fucking match, but it's like, you know, like we're set up here for a really good main event. It's just that main event doesn't really deliver. It's like well, a it's like a really good opener to a like a concert. Like okay, the the opener was pretty good. You guys and the the reason why everyone's here, you guys are gonna go out and kill it. And you know, ultimately we don't get that, but you know, it was a very again, it was exactly what it needed to be. Really, um, really, really good match. Something I did notice too, or just like my perception, it's amazing what tuning up the band did for, at least in my eyes, the super kick power level or the speech of music power level. Like, it's not that I don't buy it as a finisher during this area of Shawn Michaels, but there's just something about it that doesn't make it look as good. Whereas you get to like the mid 2000s Shawn Michaels and it looks like it completely obliterates people's heads. Yeah, I don't know. It's like he. He started – I feel like he started stomping the mat harder later on. Yes. And it's like – I don't know if he just realized that like the harder you stomp the mat. I don't know. It's like – The like psychology the of like, oh, if he's hitting the mat this hard, imagine what's going to do that guy's chin. 
I don't know. I, 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 the way I see it is like in kayfabe, the kinetic energy being generated by him stomping the mat is being transferred into his foot. And the harder he stomps the mat, the harder he kicks your face. That could also be it. Is not how physics work. But this is pro wrestling. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever the fuck you want. And the rules don't matter. The rules of like real life don't actually matter. Uh, so I, I, I like to think that that's how that works. You know? Yeah. But so. it, it, but I but it's just something like it's not that I don't buy it as a finisher. It's just like I feel like the later the later Shawn Michaels had a better super kick. I agree. I agree. You know, like he did the super kick for a while before it really became his finisher. You know, he would just kind of do other shit. Um, but like it wasn't like, like it was only around like now. I feel like that the super kick became the Shawn Michaels finisher. Yeah. Right? Um, and I mean, like he started calling it the sweet chin music and everything, but like it wasn't always his, like he, he always did it, but it wasn't always the finish. I mean, it was such his move that it took 12 years for anyone to start using it again. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and now, and now everyone does. I know everyone does it. <laughs> Uh, which is as much the Young Bucks' fault as it is Shawn Michaels' fault. <laughs> but uh, it is originally Shawn Michaels' fault. Um, so, yeah. Next up, we have uh, Todd Pettengill welcoming in acting WWF President Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, so, we have Roddy Piper cut this promo where he literally buries everybody. Uh, we have Roddy Piper. Um, you know, he, he says that, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to be the number one contender at WrestleMania, which he already knows, but he cuts this problem. We're setting up the Vader Yokozuna match and he completely buries both of them. Um, he calls, he says, uh, that he feels zero sympathy for Yokozuna, even though Yokozuna just got gang attacked by like three people and handcuffed to the ropes and beaten up. Uh, he says he feels zero sympathy for Yokozuna because he is 650 pounds of nasty beast. And he calls Yoko an idiot. And then he calls Vader an inbred who is wearing a jockstrap on his face. Nevertheless, he makes Yoko versus Vader at WrestleMania. And Jim Cornette and the, uh, the uh, you know, the, 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 the fucking attorney, Clarence Mason, they show up. Uh, Roddy Piper tells them both to fuck off, but Cornette cuts this promo where he says that uh, Roddy Piper is scared of Vader, and what Vader does to Yokozuna and the WWF at WrestleMania is going to be on Roddy Piper's hands. And Roddy Piper finishes this promo segment by grabbing Jim Cornette's ass. Uh, Roddy Piper, great on the mic, but hated this because, again, it's like, why are you you're making this big match for WrestleMania and then burying both of the guys in the match and calling them just complete fucking idiots and morons and losers? Uh, that's that's not how promoting works. No, it is not. Promote it and say, hey, this is why these guys are good and you should want to watch them. Not like, hey, here's this fat idiot versus this other fat idiot. That's not how promotion work Roddy yeah at least sell over sell the baby face like at least put over Yoko because like you could have the history between Roddy and Vader because there's history there and like it makes sense why Roddy will not put over Vader because you know there's theoretical beef absolutely like yes it's like okay 
you know, yeah, you can shit talk Vader. Vader's the heel. But then it's also like, oh, yeah, but the baby face is also a stupid asshole, too. Yeah. So like, fuck you, you asshole. I'll say like, that. I, what I'll, the fuck is that? <laughs> I'll say this. Cornette came off a lot less grating than I anticipated. Cornette, Cornette could cut a promo. Cornette could uh, could get get some fire on the mic. You know what I mean? Like he he you know again as as much as we like to shit talk Jim Cornette, uh, as a purely like on screen character, I'm I'm not ever gonna talk down on him as an on screen like heel manager, a guy who was just very good at the at 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 what he did. You know, I like at, at, at really all aspects of being a fucking shithead heel manager. He was very good at it. Very good. But yeah, as much as we, we do want to talk shit about uh, Jim Cornette as a guy, because he seems like a fucking asshole and I hate like there is no bigger fucking red flag for somebody. Honestly, um, if they like if they like profess to be a fan of the Jim Cornette podcast, <laughs> that's red flag right there, buddy. I don't know. Um, not a fan. So, we're here. It's now time for the main event. The Steel Cage has been assembled, and it's main event time. We have Diesel challenging Brett, the Hitman Hart, for the WWF title, who will carry in the WWF Championship to WrestleMania 12 and defend against the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn motherfucking Michaels. Uh, again, this is a match that looks good on paper. Bret, Bret Hart, one of the great workers of all time. Just coming off of the year before, WrestleMania, or two years before, I suppose it was, WrestleMania 10. Already had one of the greatest cage matches of all time, maybe the greatest cage match in history up to that point uh, against Owen Hart, guy who knows how to do a good cage match, and Diesel, big guy, but a guy, a big guy who can move and do some stuff, uh, who Bret Hart has worked well with in the past. But... Unfortunately, this match is slow and boring. Uh, I spent a lot of this match brawling around, throwing each other into the cage. Um, again, this is a match where there is no pinfall or submission. There is no ref in the ring. You have to win only by escaping the cage. And Diesel, at his size, is not going to be doing a lot of fucking climbing here, folks. So he's normally just trying to get out of the uh, door, which I have spoken extensively on how much I hate that shit. I hate the fucking door in steel cage matches. It's so lame. Uh, Brett is actually the first guy to try and climb out through the door. He headbutts him in the balls. Um, early on in this match, tries to climb out the door, and Diesel pulls him back. Brett hits his middle rope bulldog, tries to climb out. Diesel, who is almost as tall as the cage, and it's still the old school, like, Big blue bars cage that they had in WWF. Visually badass Diesel just being able to touch the top of the cage. Yeah, not a very tall cage. I mean, it's 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 probably about eight feet tall, right? Because of how, how tall Diesel is, he's you know legit probably six ten. Former former Tennessee Volunteers basketball player Kevin Nash, um, who's a, just a big dude, able to pull him back. You know, Brett works over the leg for a while. There's one spot here where Diesel reverses a whip and whips Brett into the corner. And Brett always took those corners chest first and would go down. He takes this. It's like the loudest buckle taking in the history of what I mean, it sounds like a fucking gunshot. It's like, impressive. It's very good. 
That yeah. like objectively, the corner like Brett going into the corners are the highlight of this match. Brett, you know, Brett always took those buckles chest first, and he always I don't know. And Brett always took the buckle better than anybody. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he <laughs> did that shit, but it was always great. Um, you know, again, pretty slow paced. There's one spot where Brett's trying to get him on the sharp, get the sharpshooter on, even though of course you can't win by submission. But I guess just to wear him down some more. He tries to get the sharpshooter on, but he can't turn the big guy over. And then Diesel pokes him in the eye. Diesel, even though we've we heard it many times that Diesel was like the least over world champion in WWF history, crowd is chanting for Diesel. Yeah, you know, I noticed that too. They do like Diesel here. Um, Brett uh, punches him in the kidneys a bunch of times. Side rush and leg sweep comes off the top uh, middle rope with his diving elbow. Uh, and then tries to climb the ropes, or tries to climb the cage again, but the Diesel hits him in the nuts. Finish of the match. We tease that there was a kind of a funky finish here. Diesel tries to climb out the door again, but then the Undertaker emerges from underneath the ring. He bursts through the ring canvas right like near the door as Diesel is trying to climb out. And he emerges from underneath the ring and he grabs Diesel and pulls him through the hole underneath the ring. And smoke rises up through the hole in the ring. As all this is happening, Bret Hart's just like, Bret Hart like looks at this and is like, hey, man, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. I'm getting out of here. And like as all this is going on, he just climbs over the top and just gets to the floor and he leaves. And he wins the match. Bret fucking dips, climbs out the cage, wins the match, retains the title. 19 minutes and 13 seconds. Bret Hart will face Shawn Michaels. At WrestleMania, which of course will end up being their legendary 60-minute Iron Man match in the main event of WrestleMania. And the finish of the show, again, Brett wins, he dips, he's gone. Uh Diesel, like the finish of the match is uh or the finish of the show, Diesel desperately climbs out of the cage to escape Taker. And Taker Taker's music plays, and Taker stands tall like atop the cage. And points ominously at Diesel. Yes, yes, folks, we will have the Undertaker versus Diesel at WrestleMania 12. Uh, what was your question that you had to start off the show that you were holding off on? So here's my question, right? We know that, you know, this is far from the first time that you've done a spot where someone was hiding underneath the ring, right? Uh, Usually what they will do is they will sneak someone down. Like either they'll turn the lights out and show a promo on the like on the Tron and they'll turn the lights out. And while the lights are out and everyone's looking up at the Tron, they'll sneak the guy down underneath, you know, before the show, before the match. And then they'll roll underneath the ring and then they'll get to where they have to get to. Or and this has also happened. They will like occasionally sneak someone down dressed as like a ring crew guy or like a photographer wearing like a hat real low or something again while there's a promo or something else going on on the stage and then they'll roll underneath the ring while nobody's looking right that's those are like the two ways that people do have like generally do this i want to know how the fuck they got taken <laughs> because they we do the yoko versus sean match or we do oh. the Owen versus Sean match, right? Yeah. So, and then afterwards we have the Roddy Piper versus 
uh, or the Roddy Piper Jim Cornette promo, which is on the stage, lights are on in the building, right? And Undertaker ends up underneath the ring at the end of the match. Like, could they have done it while, you know, uh, that promo was going on? Possibly. But also, it's The Undertaker and the lights are all on. There's nobody, it's not like you're just sneaking some guy who you can, like, could put him in a fucking ball cap and a sweatshirt and pretend he's somebody else. You can't see him punk as a mafia member him. It's the fucking Undertaker. Like, he's going, like, he walks out and people are going to realize, oh shit, that's The Undertaker. And people are going to stop paying the fuck attention to whatever Roddy Piper is talking about really quick. So I want to know how they got the Undertaker underneath that ring and when and how, like, like, what, like, did they just be like, hey, you had to hide under here the whole time? Or like, at what point did they sneak him down? Because I don't think that there's like a very obvious, like, point in time for them to do it. Man, that is tough logistically. Um, and again, again, because it's the Undertaker. Yeah. Like, it's not just some average guy who's, like, a normal-sized guy. It's the fucking Undertaker, right? If, and again, like, if they had turned the light, like, before this match, they turned the lights off and showed some kind of promo, maybe. But they didn't do that. If I'm a betting man, I'm willing to bet, because I, th- I think there are tunnels that run underneath, like, a lot of these stadiums. They had a tunnel that had a hatch underneath the ring. There's no way. There's no way. I think so. No way. That's not how that shit works, dude. I've, I've worked in buildings like this before. That's not how that shit works. There's no way they have a fucking trap door underneath. No, no way. Not, not trap door, just a, just a tunnel system like they, that runs underneath. It at all, Then he, Then he was there. He was under there the entire time. That, that, that's, those are the only two answers. I think it's possible. I just think it's harder to do with The Undertaker. I don't know. Because you're right. I don't think you could just have him walk out in like street clothes or a disguise because he's too tall. Yeah, they're like, who the heck is this tall asshole, and why is he getting under the ring? Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. I uh, but th- this is younger Taker. It would not surprise me if he was just sitting under the ring the entire time. Could have been. I just I want to know how they snuck him in there because again, I don't necessarily see like an obvious point in time where they could have done it. Anyway, uh, Diesel and Brett come out with all, oozing all the charisma. And then that's it for like 20 minutes. That's 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 always trouble. Uh, I again, Brett getting whipped into the corners, a great sound in addition to the this old style cage, because you hear the creaks of the cage, too, whenever they run into it or move it. It's I love those sounds. I think the new cage is kind of like it's more of a prop than an actual thing. It's why hell I think it's why hell in a cell still hits because like, Oh, it's hell in a cell. You're going to have those face grades. Elimination chamber hits because you're going to have like, it, it looks that way, except they had padding this year. And it just like far be it for me to complain that, Oh, they're trying to protect the wrestlers. But like part of the old charm with elimination chamber is that that was also steel that they were taking mumps on. Yeah. Uh, they always, they always said in the promo for every elimination chamber, they're like, this is made out of 200,000 yards of, or whatever the fuck miles two, two billion, miles of chain it's made out of two billion miles of steel chain <laughs> they always did that shit yeah so like I, those two cage matches still kind of hit the same way the old old style cage does but now like i feel like wwe does steel cage is steel cage matches so often that that steel cage just doesn't it doesn't have the same pop to it anymore it's kind of overworn uh there, the moment Diesel was getting cheered over Brett was also super weird because Diesel's functionally the heel. Yeah. 
uh, always odd. They did have some fantastic camera work on uh, Diesel throwing Brett from the corner. I thought there was a, a moment there where it's just like, oh, they cap- captured that beautifully, and it's not with a million different frame cuts. Uh, yeah. Too many Brett Hart near falls by climbing the cage. Way too many of them. But then, like, the finish kind of, like, it doesn't redeem the match, but the finish is very exciting and entertaining. With Taker coming out of the ring, dragging Diesel more or less to hell. Uh, Brett winning, and then Diesel kind of being able to scramble out of there as Undertaker chases him. Very great. The only problem is it makes the champ kind of an afterthought. Because no one cares if the champ just defended his title. Everyone cares the fact that Diesel just got dragged under the ring by the Undertaker. That's the main selling point. And then Brett's kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, they are setting up. They, they're using this whole show to set up the like the main matches for mania right you know they they obviously do it with yoko and vader even though that ends up not being the match they're still setting up something between yoko and vader they you know and and they're using this match to set up to you know main events here you know this is this is what they're doing with taker and diesel and like you know they're going to spend the next month focusing on Sean versus Brett. And that's a big enough match. And and really, if you go back and watch Sean versus Brett, some of the best fucking buildup. I, I, I love the buildup they did for Sean versus Brett. Like the different vignettes that they did. Really some incredible work that WWF did. But like that has its time. That's going to get its fucking spot. Yeah. And they're going to focus on this a fucking lot because – Sean versus Brett is about the biggest match WWF can do at this point. Uh, that can take a little bit of a backseat for one night. You know what I mean? I, I don't disagree. I just know that there have been many times in the past where Vince puts the belt on somebody and then forgets they have the belt, more or less. That didn't happen here, though. Like, not really. Not really. It didn't really happen here. Because you're building up to what is, you know, commonly remembered as a real fucking classic yeah. between Sean and Brad in the in the Iron Man match. Match that is kind of boring for about 35 minutes, but then gets amazing, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um yeah, it's 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 I, I don't have any problem with it. I think it's I honestly think it's perfectly fine booking you know what i mean yeah I, I, it was just an observation because i'm just like wow i don't care about Brett at all i care about taker diesel yeah i mean i don't know i again like taker diesel is a big match and the crowd reacts to it crowd reacts big to taker here and you know taker was was over and people people liked him and taker versus diesel i mean that's a big match you know it's a big match and that ends up being the the co-main of uh of, of wrestlemania 12 um so yeah you know not not a, not a not that good of a match in in uh, wrestlemania 12 but you know it's perfectly it's, fine it certainly is one yeah it's, it certainly is a match and uh you know it's it's i, I think it's perfectly fine i i, I like again it, it's it, it's not a trap like it's a trap that they've fallen into in the past but they don't really do it here mm-hmm. um it's a, it's it's a, you know, like we talked about the fucking taker arising from through the fucking so uh, cool canvas. It's just a classic. I mean, how many times have they done that in WWF, WWE, with various no, guys? Honestly, the perfect amount. They've done it. The per- they haven't overdone it. And they've done it just the right amount. 
The Taker's done it. You know, Kane has done it, of course. Boogie, many hasn't times. Boogeyman done it? I'm sure Boogeyman's done it. I don't really specifically remember, but I'm sure he has, right? It's just, you know, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun, it's a fun gimmick when you do it. Yeah, again, like you said, you can't do it too much, but that is one thing that I think WWE has done well has been not overdoing that that uh, that gimmick. So, you know, a fun ending uh, to what was a boring as shit and bad match. Very much so. So, that will take us to our two and a half marks. Angelo. I'm going to give my half mark to uh, Duke the Dumpster Josie, not just being more than a meme. Because whenever we think wrestling garbage, man, we're like, <laughs> remember old school WWF d- d- wrestling dumps uh, dr- uh, garbage, man. He, he, again, the match with Hunter sounds like it's not like a cl- five star work rate classic, but it was like exactly what it needed to be. I don't think he did anything that looked bad. I think he just, you know, he knew the assignment and he did it. And I think that's like sometimes that's all you need to do as a as a wrestler is just like, hey, this is my role. I'm going to do my role to the best of my ability. And, you know, that'll be it. And I thought his match was perfectly fine. Uh, he had a few really good looking power moves on uh, good old Triple H. So, you know, Duke, more than a meme. I enjoyed him. Would have, have enjoyed watching more of him. He gets over in 2023. Uh, my one mark is guys coming out from under the ring because it's just, again, done the perfect amount of times. Uh, it never is not memorable. Like, even if I don't remember exactly what happened, just like you go find that clip and it's just like, oh, this is just so it's such good pro wrestling shit. It's very good. Uh, I actually I think the first time I actually saw it was Abyss on TNA. I forget for what match, but he can't kind of came out from under the ring and attacked somebody. I was like, oh, this guy is terrifying because this was like still young angel. I'm like this abyss dude scares the crap out of me. He just came out from under the ring. Lights out went red. Terrifying. Scary. Fucking big shout out to Abyss, by the way. He ruled. Love he Abyss. Fucking awesome, dude. I loved Abyss. The fucking black hole slam. Fuck. So good. So fucking sick. Great big man. Uh, so, yeah, one mark for coming guys coming out from under the ring. And then my two marks is just maximizing your entrance. Kind of like it's, uh, with Taker. Kind of like Taker maximized his moment, like, appearing in that match. Like, Instant memorability, instant heat building, perfect. And then, of course, like Shawn Michaels, like, come on, man. That entrance, there's not a lot of fluff to it, but like, that's like there's a top. There's not a lot of fluff to the Shawn Michaels. Look, I mean, there's pop and circumstance, but that's it's not like. Angela, that is no, 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 no. There are so many, like, well, look at WrestleMania this past year. This was a, this was an entrance that, yeah, there's a lot of like things to it like yeah he's dancing on the roof and he's like swinging down like tarzan but it's not like a high production value it's not like he's got a shit ton of pyro backing him up he's just maximizing his entrance by like okay cool i'm gonna start off dancing on the roof that's not complicated to do it's not expensive to do it's just like he's there he's maximizing it okay okay that's where i'm coming from it's not like yes it is it's not extra it's there's a lot of pop and circumstance but it's not extravagant let me put it that way that's probably better terminology Fine, Angelo. Fine. I'm going to give my half mark to, and we talked about it before, and it's kind of what you said, but uh, wrestlers with jobs. I think that <laughs> we come back at this point. It's like you said, I think Trozzi gets over on the indies in 20, uh, 2023 <laughs> uh, with the garbage man gimmick. Uh, I think we've swung back around where it's like at this point in time and for quite a long time afterwards, people were like, this is the dumbest shit ever, and I hate it. 
But then uh, we've now swung back around to, I think, like independent wrestling audiences, or, like wrestling audiences in general. But I feel like specifically the indies um, have gotten like ironic and online enough that like someone like this would get over. Like, I mean, we we just had, you know, the fucking wrestling pizza chef who just turned who turned out to be an anti-vaxxer. But like the wrestling pizza chef caught on fire for fucking two minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a gimmick straight out of this shit. You know, it is. And also, like we think about like the indies today, most of the wrestlers do have day jobs. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a guy there's a guy in fucking who wrestles in the Northeast named CPA, whose gimmick is that he is a CPA because I think he actually is one in real life. Uh, And he he, like he does the whole fucking gimmick wrestles in the suit and tie and people love him. People people (laughs) fucking love him. He's extremely entertaining. Like, that's what I'm thinking of. Personally, my favorite wrestling CPA is D'Lo Brown. Yes. But like, I mean, fucking. Britt Baker, the wrestling dentist, took the Isaac Yankum gimmick and, you know, made it better. Like, <laughs> you know, like uh, she's an actual dentist. Like we've now swung back to a world where you can do this. And it's like people are ironic enough now that people like it, you know. And I think that I think we're on the verge of breaking through. Uh, I'm currently in talks to form a tag team with one of my friends called the Gutter Guys. Ooh. Uh, where we're going to be like, we're going to update the TL Hopper gimmick for, for 2023. We're going to be the gutter guys. Uh, I, I think that could work. We're going to fucking clean your gutters and we're going to clean your fucking, uh, we're going to clean your clock with our fists. Uh, so we're, we're doing that. Um, I'm going to give my uh, minus one mark to that Roddy Piper. Pro- Again, like Roddy yeah. Piper, fuck man, like such a great promo and a great like charismatic force. But man, what does that fucking promo do for anybody? I, I was just sitting there watching it, and I was like, I cannot fucking believe that he is burying these guys so hard. Like, I thought it was unfucking real. Um, I just, I, I couldn't get over it. I, I could not get over how like, like the only person who looks good out of that is Roddy Piper, who is not wrestling anymore, at least at that point. So why do you need to fucking put yourself over, you asshole? And the, and the worst thing, too, is that, like, you could argue that his promo isn't wrong. Well, I mean, but fucking who cares? Like, he's just like he's just making fucking jabs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's making like he's like, make, like, oh, like, you know, he says to Vader, like, oh, he's from the Rocky Mountains. So he's obviously inbred. Yep. It's like, OK, that's just a really cheap fucking jab at where a guy's from. You know what I mean? Like. I don't know. I, I, I thought that like there's there's no way to like do shit like that. And then also like, you know, like all you're doing is shitting on people who are you're supposed to be trying to like help like like sell a match for. I just I, that's just like bad. It's just like basic, like just doing a poor job. Um, yeah. So a, a negative one mark to Roddy here and then uh, number and I'm going to give a negative two mark to uh Putting one of the only good workers in your company in a baby diaper and having him cry in the middle of the ring, uh, which I think is a pretty self-explanatory there. I don't think I really need to uh, go further into that. Yeah, putting one of your only like really exciting young stars who is on the cutting edge of like pro wrestling style uh, and is really entertaining um, – in a baby diaper and having him cry on pay-per-view. 
So that will wrap up our coverage of WWF In Your House 6. It will bring us to our last order business. I'm going to hit the randomizers, see what we're going to be watching next time on the podcast. Angelo, what do you want to see? Let's get some peak WCW or like early 2010s WWE. That's what I'm feeling right now. Um, I'm still, I'm still, I have to click through here. Got this one already. We did this one already. Have we done this one? Man, we're running out of shit, brother. Man, a podcast must be ended soon then. We've done because we got WCW here. It turned up WCW. Another one that we've done. Jesus Christ. Are we like running out of WCW here? Are you, are we trying specifically at WCW or are we on WCW? Okay. I think we got one. That we haven't done already. Uh, let me let me let me let me let me let me verify here. Do some research. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've done this one, right? WW or WCW Fall Brawl, nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. I don't think we've done this one here. No, we haven't. There's no way. We just randomly got a bunch of shit that we've done before. <laughs> that was uh, the longest stretch I think we've had, where it's like uh, we've done all these. Dude, I fucking know. Uh, it came like Starcade. Uh, 96, which we've done, and then it, like Shy Town Rumble, which we've done, and then there's another one, that, Fall Brawl 2000, which we've done, but this is Fall Brawl 99, which we have not watched. We've got Sting versus Hulk Hogan for the 48th time uh, for the WCW Championship in the main event. We've got a Goldberg DDP. We've got uh, Chris Benoit versus Sid. We've got uh, Alex Wright versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh boy! Uh, uh, our first Rick Steiner match since it was revealed that Rick Steiner is an enormous piece of shit. So that's yeah. Uh, we've got the Insane Clown Posse wrestling on this show, um, and a show that is probably uh, going to be awful. So next time on the Two and a Half Marks Podcast, WCW Fall Brawl nineteen ninety nine. So. For my good friend Angelo Anglisa, my name is David Staffan. Thanks everybody for listening.